On today's episode from the Archives, we're joined by offensive coordinator at Cincinnati, Mike Denbrock. Currently, Cincinnati is number 14 in the country. Coach Denbrock has done an outstanding job everywhere he's been. And today he's going to talk to us about a number of different things, building culture, how he teaches his players the game, and some of the RPOs that they use for the Bearcats. I think this is one you will enjoy. Keep tuning in. We're coming up on some new episodes here, as well as some news soon about the future direction of the podcast. Uh, But some great content here. Enjoy. Excited to be joined today by the University of Cincinnati offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach, Mike Denbrock. Coach, it's great to have you here. Really appreciate you having me on, and thanks for letting me be part of what I think is is one of the better podcasts out there. I appreciate that, Coach. Well, as you know, we get into your background here a little bit first, and in a lot of ways, your career path kind of followed that typical format that you see with a guy leaving as a player, becoming a graduate assistant at a couple places, and moving his way into a full-time position. So you played at Grand Valley State. You were a tight end, hooked on as a graduate assistant there when you finished playing. And from there, it just progressed. Michigan State as a GA, Illinois State was your first job as offensive tackles, tight ends. Back to your alma mater for a while. You kicked around arena football. You're at Stanford, Notre Dame, Washington, Indiana State, back to Notre Dame, and now you're at Cincinnati. And I think, Coach, and focusing on all those opportunities and things that happen along the way. It's a progression, and it's an evolution for a coach that you're going to learn important things at each stop that really are formative in the way that you're going to grow and develop as a coach. So with that in mind, Coach, what, what were some of those key things for you, those things that stick out as I learned this here, really helped me develop as a coach and evolve to who I am today? Yeah, well, I, I mean, I think for me, it really starts with the perspective that you take as a as an assistant football coach. And, and it always has started with me with, as an assistant, understanding what being a good assistant means. And my job has always been in, in reference to, since I haven't been able to become a head coach at this point in my career, but my job has been to assist the head coach in any way possible to improve the program and to coach the guys I was responsible for and get those guys to perform at a level higher than hopefully their ability level and, and continue to develop their games. I always thought of not the next move or where I wanted to go in my career or, or where I might end up, or we all have goals. There's no diff, no, no question about that, of, of what we want to accomplish. But I think it's very important to keep a focus on where you're at and doing the best possible job you can for your program and for the kids that you're responsible for, whatever position that happens to be. And then things just kind of end up taking care of themselves. And I I can't say that I never had a dream of coaching at the highest level and being at the highest level. Of course I did. But what I tried to focus on day to day was a lot more of the nuts and bolts of improving myself as much as I could. And and hopefully at the same time, improving the guys around me and making them better at what they were doing. Coach, kind of a, a funny story as you talked about that, how things take care of themselves. And I remember back when I started coaching. And for me, I had an injury when I was 18, 19 years old, started coaching down the road from the college I was at, seventh and eighth graders. 
And at that time, I'm like, I, I want to do this. And eventually, I want to be a college coordinator. And I, I really didn't give it much more detail than that. And I didn't think about it along the way in, in terms of, geez, what am I going to do to be a, a college coordinator? And what's next? And, and one day, years later, I'm at Baldwin Wallace University, my alma mater. I had just been named offensive coordinator. And, and I think one of my friends said, Wow, what's your what's your goal? What do you want to do with your career? And I I mean I had got used to saying I want to be a college offensive coordinator, and that started to come out of my <laughs> mouth. And I was like, Wow, right. actually I'm here. This is what I've I've wanted to do. I guess I'm gonna have to set new goals. But I think it's like you said, you get into it and you think about some of those things, and you certainly aspire to it. But if if it becomes that's what I'm chasing, and and I, that's what's on my mind all the time you're you're really going to miss the boat and probably fail along the way because there's so many other things you do have to wrap your mind around. Well, I think you end up doing a disservice to your current place of employment and and more importantly to the kids who are entrusted to you if you're chasing something that maybe a year or two years or four years or whoever who knows how long right. down the road you 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 want to be in the now. And as a player and a coach, and I've always thought it was a, a little bit funny that a lot of us as coaches, we, we talk to our players all the time about process, buy into the process, just follow the process. It'll happen. You're, you'll become a starter. You'll become an all-conference player. You'll become an All-American. And sometimes in our own careers, we're the farthest ones from following our own advice that we give to the kids. And I just think we have to be mindful of that. And and I was always trying to, as much as I possibly could, be mindful of where I was and making sure that I was trying to do the best job I possibly could for the kids in particular. Yeah, I would say you definitely don't want to be that guy who is on football scoop all the time looking for, hey, what's open right now or what's coming open next? What are the, what's the rumor mill? Certainly you want to network and, and build that network so you can take advantage of opportunities that might come up. But I think one of the best quotes ever, and I won't get it, exactly right but frosty westering talked about making where you are the big time just a great quote for that and along the way coach you've had all kinds of opportunities when i look at all the positions you coach you've coached everything on offense you've coached everything on defense except defensive backs you've been an offensive coordinator defensive coordinator and special teams coach that you've really learned this game from every angle and i think that's kind of becoming a, a lost art of, of coaching that a lot of guys today are, are specialists. And you might even ask a guy like, hey, what happens in a guy at a high, higher level? What happens in the passing game right here? What's the quarterback looking at? And they'd be like, I have no idea. I just teach these guys to block. <laughs> well, I, I, I was very fortunate earlier in my career. Brian Kelly and I ended up being graduate assistant coaches together at my alma mater, Grand Valley. For a couple years, lived together, built a strong friendship and a relationship. And when he became the head coach at Grand Valley and I got a chance to go back, what, what really interested me as much as anything was just digging my hands in a little bit deeper and learning as many different positions and how to coach them and how to scheme and affect either defenses or offenses and just kind of learn the nuts and bolts of the game a little bit more. And fortunately, during my seven years that I ended up at Grand Valley, of course, like everyone else, I was trying to get noticed by the Mid-America Conference schools and, and hopefully move on with my career at some point. But 
during the time while I was trying to make that happen in my coaching career, I was fortunate enough to work for Brian and, and Brian was of the same mind as I was, that it was way more important to learn as much about the game as you possibly could. And he gave me a unique opportunity and, and him and I talked about this almost every year after the season, we'd sit down and say, where do we go from here? And what's your plan? And where's your goals? And, and where do you want to go? And, and we would talk about where I thought I would, could be most valuable to what we were trying to build at Grand Valley at that time. And sometimes that was on offense. Sometimes that was on defense. And I think along the line, gaining that experience has, has led itself to kind of given me what I guess in, in a specialized coaching world would be a unique perspective in being able to, to kind of see things through the eyes of being a defensive coordinator or being an offensive coordinator or being the running back coach or coaching the quarterbacks or, or even the offensive line, whatever it happened to be. So when I've got my offensive staff in particular in the room and we're watching practice tape and we're talking about what's going on, they know when my questions come up and, and the things that I'm talking about to them, whether they're technique issues or things that I'd like to see us work a little better at and, and things I'd like to see us improve on, whatever em- emphasis area we happen to be talking about, I've lived those things as a position coach. I've coached those things. I, I have maybe a little bit different perspective on those than somebody that hadn't coached them. So I think that helps all of us kind of, and I think that the most healthy thing that can happen in a staff room at any time is is back and forth and discussion and, and not being afraid of that. Absolutely. And and I know for me, it, when I was doing this full-time at the college level, one of my favorite things to do every week is we would set aside some time to have crossover. And we'd finish up looking at our film early in the week, and we'd take about half hour, 45 minutes, usually around lunch. And me and, and, and my assistant coach would go down – and talk with the defensive coordinator and his assistant and, and talk about what we were seeing and, and our thoughts on maybe our attack and what do you think they might do if they're doing this. And it was just such a great back and forth and learning experience that there are those opportunities right within your own building to get some of that experience on the other side of the ball or at a different position. But I think that's very, very an important, a very important point that you're making because one of the things that, that we do consistently and constantly is sometimes you get locked in your own little world, whether that be on offense or defense or whatever. And you, you think something is going to be effective versus a certain look on defense or a certain look on offense, whether it's a blitz defensively or whether it's a, a pass concept or whatever. And you may not know all of the little details of the way the defense is going to play that, if you take that to the defensive staff, which we have a great interaction with our defensive staff and, and do much of the same things that you're talking about, if I've got something that I'm thinking game plan-wise, I want to run it by if time allots, and you know how that goes. But yeah. if there's an opportunity for me to sit down with our defensive staff for even five minutes and say, hey, here's here's what I'm thinking as an adjustment to this if they try to take this away with, the linebacker they try to take this away with the safety how would you guys react to this would this be effective especially if we're playing a similar scheme that week or even after spring ball what we did is the defensive staff really evaluated our offense Mm -hmm. and here's the things that give us problems here's the things that we like that you do 
to attack us. Here's the things that really cause us a lot of discussion in the defensive staff room to try to take away from you if we possibly can. And we did the same thing with them. Here's, here's some of the things we feel like you can do defensively that you're already kind of doing, but if you added this to it, I think it would be even better. And this hurts us. This helps us. This, and just evaluate each other and have a free open dialogue amongst your staff because you're really all working for the same goal. And that's to get your football team ready to win some games. I think it's so important to, to be on the same page as a staff. And a lot of times you have that evaluation period, maybe on a, a Sunday or whatever, talking to the whole staff, and then you split up and everybody's doing their own thing. I think it's, and I've talked to a number of coaches about this. I think it's so important that you understand what's needed in the game plan overall to beat a certain team. And we get into this day and age where, Hey, there's, there's so much in social media. It's about branding yourself. And we have maybe this unique name for our offense and things we do. And I think all those things are pretty cool. But at the end of the day, you have to be on the same page. And I had recently uh, another FBS offensive coordinator on who I think a lot of people would look to as a guru. And we spent some time talking exactly about that. And it was, was refreshing to hear from somebody who is looked up to known as as being a guru in a certain offense that he, he really feels like, hey, I got to figure out what do we need to do to help our defense and special teams or all those things. How does it all come together within a, a total game plan? Oh, I, I really, I couldn't agree with that more. I mean, I, I think you win and lose football games as a football team and you have to keep that perspective about it. And that, that's not always going to mean 650 yards of total offense and 45 points. It's, it's going to mean whatever, whatever set of circumstances you have in your program. And, and maybe you've got an offense that's really strong at the offensive line and you got some good backs and, but you're not as strong on the perimeter. Well, you know, you better adjust what you do scheme wise offensively to what you have and to carry that a step further. I think it's very important to understand, okay, here's, having those discussions as a staff, here's, here's what we feel like we can get done this week defensively. I mean, we can, if you guys can give us 24, 28, whatever that number happens to be, we feel like we we've got a great chance to win the game and understanding from each other's perspective, what's needed to make the team successful Mm -hmm. is obviously has to be the ultimate goal. And that's what we spend a lot of time doing. Coach, Move on from Notre Dame, it was your prior stop here, to Cincinnati to become the offensive coordinator. You're the quarterback's coach now as well. Coach Fickle obviously has grown up and learned as a coach in, in, in a great place and had some great mentors along the way. And it's his opportunity to lead a program and install a co- culture, and that's such a big part of, of what you're doing, probably more important sometimes than your X's and O's, if not Definitely more important than your X's and O's. So you're a part of that. And as a a coordinator, coach gives you the opportunity to make sure that that culture is saturating your side of the ball as well. So what kind of things are are you doing to ensure that the, the culture is aligned and that you guys are, as you build your program, moving forward together in alignment? Yeah, I, I mean, I think, number one, you, you always have to remember, I think, what I touched on early, that 
I mean, this, this is Coach Fickle's football program, and this isn't Mike Denbrock's offense. And as, as, as big a key to success when you're trying to flip a program that hasn't had the success that it's used to the last couple of years is to make sure you're in 100% alignment with the person that you're working for and the direction of the program that that he's the path that he set the program on. And, and we are in such alignment with what we believe leads to winning that driving and emphasizing those points in front of the offensive unit is a pr- pretty easy thing to do because it's it's I almost can hear the same words coming out of my mouth that are coming out of, of Coach Fickle when he's addressing the whole entire football team as I do when I see, you know, when I have the offensive unit meetings or whatever, when we're talking about philosophy and how we're going to play and what we're going to be and how we're going to go about our business on a day-to-day basis. Those things come from the top. And obviously you as a coordinator, making sure you're in a position where you're in direct alignment with those things gives you an opportunity to, I think, enhance the culture, reinforce the culture that the head coach is trying to build, and that's really your job as the offensive coordinator. Coach, a lot of times it's maybe teaching some of those things separately, especially as you start to install that culture that it needs to be addressed, and you talk about some of those things, but you get to the point as as you've gone through now two spring balls in, in a season that you look for the behaviors. You look for those certain behaviors in your guys, within your units, whether it's in the meeting room, on the field, et cetera. What are the, the pillars you guys are really building around that you expect to see out of your guys? Well, it, it, it starts with, with what we would define as playing hard. There's, there's, there's guys that go hard, but not everybody plays hard. And, and, and for us, that's every play four, four to six, A to B. And then we talk to our guys about what are their intentions when they get to the spot that they're trying to get to in four to six A to B and, and doing the type of things necessary. I think from an offensive standpoint, it starts with that. It starts with your passion. It starts with your willingness to put it on tape and, and display your culture. And if you came to our football facility, you wouldn't see a whole lot of slogans or signs on the walls or or things like that, especially during the first season, we have a few more things now. And the reason for that wasn't because we don't believe in those things or we don't think those things are important. What we wanted to instill in the players here at the University of Cincinnati from the beginning was your culture is displayed on tape every snap of the football. And Mm -hmm. you can physically, right, watch someone play the game of football and you can feel passion. You can see passion. It's tangible. It's right in front of you. And it's a direct reinforcement of whether you've built a, a sustainable culture in your program or not. And that's really been the emphasis from the minute we walked in the door was not to try to win the guys over with slogans, but have them develop a culture that can be seen in the way that we play the game. And it continues. I mean, listen, culture's an everyday deal. It's kind of like recruiting in today's world, right? If you're if you're not recruiting every single day and touching these high school guys every single day, you're not going to be very successful. And I believe the same thing about the culture of your football team, whether that's on offense or defense. It's a constant attention 
to making sure that the message is being heard and that the things you're trying to instill with the, in them are being seen in what they do, how they behave, and, and how they're going about their business. And I think that recruiting part is is so critical, really at every level today. It's it's different, the form it takes at the high school level. But it really doesn't matter what level you're at, that you are constantly recruiting people into your program, then essentially recruiting them to buy into an idea and develop themselves, that it happens all the time. It happens for coaches in their hallways and how are we going to pull our athletes in. But also, it just doesn't stop. It's part. Of, it has to be part of your mentality, really, as a coach. If you're going to be successful, that I'm going to be really good at recruiting people to to come to our program, and then recruiting people really to buy into our ideas. And coach, that's something you've been recognized for as being one of the top recruiters in the country. So, you know, for you, what's the key to being an effective recruiter? Well, I, I, to me, it's always been honesty, and it's always been, I think, the ability to communicate to the student-athlete at the high school level what it was that our program embodied, what we had to offer to them as far as resources for education, resources for development of them as people off the football field, and then resource-wise and, and who we were as a football program and how we would develop them as a football player. And I, I think it's very important to not only just talk to them only about football things, but to dig a little bit deeper and find out the answers to how they fit into who you are and what you're trying to be culturally as a football program. And if those things are in alignment, I think the old the old adage that, that my dad said to me uh, when I was growing up, birds of a feather flock together. I think those guys identify themselves, and, and, you, and then you make sure that those are the guys that you target the hardest with what you're trying to do. But I think it's, it's communication. It's making sure that you have a place where they are thinking about you and what you're doing and developing on a daily basis, which means you have to be in touch with them and you have to reach out to them and you have to be part of who they are and what they're doing every day. Those are the things that lend to them thinking about what you have to offer and then going about systematically showing them not only how you're going to showcase their skills as a football player, but the other areas that you are going to enhance in their life. And, and hopefully showing them that you're their best opportunity for development as a total person and a football player at the same time. Coach, another aspect of this game is you have to be a really great teacher to be an effective coach, that if you're going to have a long career, a successful career, to be able to go on and do this at the elite level, you're, you're not going to do it without being a great teacher as well. What are some of the things you really – believe in and, and that you want to see, especially out of your coaching staff in terms of how they're teaching the game? Well, I think it's it starts first with you've got to dig in to your kids. I mean, you, you've got to find out what makes the players that you're responsible for tick, where they're from, what their family situation is, who they are as people. And 
you have to have that type of knowledge, I think, to formulate a, an effective plan of teaching them. I, 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 you, you can't, especially in today's football, in my opinion, it's very difficult to, to cookie cutter coach or teach these guys football. I just, I just don't see that as the most effective way of doing it. If they understand that you have their best interest at heart, you know more about them than their name, you care about them as people, they're going to be in a frame of mind where they're open to the things that you're saying. So that to me is always the first piece of the puzzle. You have to gain their trust. You have to gain that knowledge necessary to be able to touch them on a level where they're open to what you have to say and how you have to say it. And we know as coaches, sometimes that's not always in the nicest way. I mean, Mm -hmm. sometimes it's a little bit aggressive for kids, but if they understand that you care about them and, and know more about them than just their name, if you will, they're more receptive to that. So I think that's a key. I think from there, I think you really have to make sure you are hitting, especially today's football players, with, with not only the what, but the why. And, and your players have to have as deep an understanding as possible, not only of what to do, but why you're doing it and, and why that's so important, why it fits in the scheme, why it puts us in a better place to be successful, and, and go into detail about explaining those and take the time to do it. And I think if you have those elements in place, the relationship, number one, and then number two, the ability to explain to them not only what to do, but why you're doing it, and then combine that in the end, obviously, with how to do it from a technique standpoint, then you've got a chance to take a kid to a new level. Absolutely. I say it all the time. I used to say it to my players just about every day. I I don't want you out here just running the lines. I want you to understand what's happening on the lines that we draw up on that pretty diagram. It's a dynamic game. It's just not go from here to here. (laughs) There's going to be a lot of things that happen. So it's necessary that they understand why, and then they have the answers. You have to provide them with the answers as well. 100% agree with that. 100%. And I, and I think, listen, we, I think last year in our program, I think you have different emphasis points every year. I mean, I think last year for, for us, and especially, well, I won't say last year, but I'll go back to our first spring football. I think it was more about, okay, who's going to fight? Who's going to yeah. not care about, they're just going to battle. Who's going to, who's our guys? Who, who are those guys? Well, once you understand that and, and kind of got that, then I think you move to the next phase, which is making sure you're developing football players. And football players who develop at the highest level understand not only the what's but the why's. And that's that's really, in year two, that is a huge emphasis point for us and has been. Coach, and going out to some FBS practices and, and looking at what the guys are doing at the highest levels, there's just a ton there to learn. I think always for me, I love the part of it, not necessarily trying to pick up what schemes coaches were doing, but really looking at how they practice. I think you guys, I mean, if there's there's one thing I see is you guys are constantly evolving and finding a better way to, to be more efficient, to be more effective on the practice field. What are some of the best things you think you guys are doing right now that, that you've maybe picked up over the last few years? 
Well, I, I agree with you in that point in, in particular. I mean, I think today's football has, has changed. I mean, you, you can't, you just can't be on the field for three hours a day anymore. It's just not, especially during the season when you're, when you're talking about 20 hours and you're talking about meetings and you're talking about lifting and you're talking about, so the time constraints alone, I think it forced coaches into being more efficient with what they do. So we're not trying to practice necessarily hours and hours and hours on top of hours as much as we are trying to be as efficient with everything that we do on the football field. And sometimes that's, Sometimes that's rearranging situational football. I, I think as much as anything, from our standpoint, from my standpoint, offensively in particular for us, it's been important for us increasingly more and more, I think, every headed into season two in particular, to kind of put our guys more and more in everything that we do in situational football as much as we possibly could because I think it's a good way to learn the game and learn how they're going to react to certain things during the game. We spent a lot of time in the spring in particular in year two, putting these guys in situations, whether they were advantageous to them or, or they were hard on them and just trying to see and evaluate the areas where we needed the most improvement, whether that was blowing the whistle and put the ball down and say, okay, we're going to play football and it's, it's call it up 11 on 11. Here we go. And we'll get into these in, in just by playing football more, you get into situations sometimes, whether it's fourth and one on the 50 yard line and we're going for it. We're, it's a high stressful situation and you, and you watch and you learn and you see how the guys that you're going to be playing football with react to those situations. And you, you find out the guys you can count on. And we do try to do as much as we can to emulate game situations and situational football as we possibly can on the practice field while combining that with going at a decent tempo and a decent, you know, making sure we're hustling in everything and making sure that we're going about our business the way we're supposed to, which is the play hard that what I touched on a little bit earlier. Coach, in terms of offense, there's all kinds of ways to skin a cat and put points on the board and move the chains. What are some of the things that really make up, and are the pillars of your offense the hallmark of what a Cincinnati Bearcat football team is going to look like from an offensive perspective? Well, everything that we do starts with the run game. So we're 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 going to try to even when we're when we start our game plan for the week and and we're game planning an opponent, it's all going to revolve in my mind and in our coaches' minds around our run game. So we're going to figure out ways to run the football. Number one and that we want to be an offensive line from an offensive perspective. We want to be an offensive line driven program. We, we want those guys to shoulder the load and we want them to be ready to shoulder the load. And our defensive staff feels the same way about the defensive line. I think from there you get into, okay, well, they're outnumbering us. How do we take advantage of that? And, and like many people, we're an offense that, that uses RPOs and, and run pass option things to help even the numbers so we're not outnumbered in the run game. So that would be the next element of what we're doing. I think thirdly, I would say we're a, we're a hard play action team or a, what we would call a run action team where in a lot of instances we're very close, if not blocking the run play exactly the way we would run the ball, but we're using it to draw in second level defenders so that our receivers can run free on corners and safeties and 
and try to create explosive plays down the field. And then I think with that, we want to be an effective screen team next. And we want to have the ability to, to keep people off balance and, and not let them tee off on us. And, and whether that's double screens or dual screens or things like that, where we've got maybe a flare screen to the field and a, and a tunnel screen to the boundary or whatever, some things that can keep people off balance from that standpoint. And then lastly, believe it or not, for us would be the drop back passing game, which I think is an important piece of the puzzle. But I think if you if you're too heavily reliant on the drop back passing game, then you're not doing those things that I outlined to begin with first. So starts with the run game for us, starts with our guys up front, our ability to control the tempo of the game through our ability to run it. Then you get into, I think, if you're getting outnumbered and and you're having success running the ball, taking care of those fold-in defenders or the extra safety that they want to drop in the box with RPOs and things like that so we can get the ball in space and let our athletes do what they do. Run action pass and, and, and get after them with run action, but try to throw the ball vertically down the field, screen them to keep them off balance, and then if we need it and, and, and use it, it'll be our drop-back game will come after that. So that's kind of how, at least in my mind, warped or unwarped, I've got it kind of construed that we're going to go about our business from an offensive standpoint here at Cincinnati. Coach, I think those are all very sound elements. One of the things I've noticed, at least one of the trends, I think, in offensive football is heavy reliance, maybe sometimes too heavy of a reliance on RPO and an abandonment of the the run action passes or the play action passes that teams kind of, I guess some guys have fit in their head, well, I really don't need the play action because I'm doing it every play. Every play looks like a run and it can be a pass. How do you, I guess, fit those two together? And looking back at, at your time, you've always had explosive offenses. You know, I think at Notre Dame, you guys set a record for the number of, of 70-yard-plus plays and 50-yard-plus plays from scrimmage. So what, where does that fit in terms of RPO versus play-action pass? I, I mean, I, ideally, I think from an offensive perspective, it, it, you can't be afraid to throw the ball vertically down the field. And I have someone who's designated, even as the game's going on, to remind me that we want to take at least two shots a quarter mm-hmm. to try to create some explosive plays down the field, whether – and, and listen, that could be a drop back for vertical kind of deal right. too. You know what I mean? It doesn't necessarily have to be run action, but I think there's a a tendency in all of us to play it a little safe. And I think RPOs, even though there's some decision-making going sure. on with the quarterback, they're really more tied to, in a lot of situations, the quick passing game, which I think we all feel like if we are going to throw the ball, we're going to throw it for a higher percentage if we don't have to launch it down the field very far. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why people become a little bit too reliant sometimes on RPOs. And I think as a coordinator, it's important to continue to challenge yourself to throw the ball and be willing to throw the ball vertically down the field. Now, when I say that, I would say in return, I think part of that is a game plan thing from from a coordinator perspective, at least mine, is to make sure I've got, in my mind, a really solid menu headed into the game of things that I want to do 
if it happens to be second and 10 or second and 11 or second and 12 so that I can combat maybe the lower percentage that you're completing some of the deep shots you take down the field, but I think you got to take them. Yeah, absolutely. I, I agree. Coach, do you guys get into the level three RPOs or are you looking primarily to stay with the, the play action pass, maybe to attack that safety who's, who's cheating down on you? And no, we, we definitely have an element of that. I think part of it is making sure that you've got guys who you feel like can go get it. One of the things that made us so explosive at times at, at Notre Dame was a young man by the name of Will Fuller, who was yeah. just a kid that it, it didn't matter how soft you played the corner, he was going to run by the guy. <laughs> yeah. So I think when you start talking about level three RPOs and run action passes and things like that, it's, it's it's developing that skill, and I think it is a skill. I really do. Some of it's God-given, of course, being able to run fast, but being able to set people up and break them off and, and, and understand how to run those types of vertical routes, I think is a learned skill, and I think it's something that needs constant attention. But, yeah, we have certainly have that, that sort of element in our team. We, we were not nearly as explosive down the field a year ago here at Cincinnati as we need to be moving forward. And, and that's something that we spent a lot of time kind of addressing this spring. And, and one of those was, was with the run action, play action, passing game, making sure we were taking some of those deeper shots. Coach, you've shared with us a lot of great ideas today, a lot of things that have come from the, both the width and depth of your experiences as a coach. If I were to ask you to, to point to one thing that you really feel gives your guys the winning edge, what's the one thing you guys do that accomplishes that? Well, I, I think it's part of our program philosophy, and, and, and that's that we're not afraid to hold each other accountable, and that's from a coaching staff standpoint and from a player standpoint. And I think it goes back to culture and development of that culture that you don't have people who are oversensitive to criticism and that's as a coach, that's as a player. And if you really care about each other and you have each other's best interests at heart, you don't take things personally. You take things as either a challenge to improve yourself or there may be a better way to do this. Let me research it and find it. Never stop growing and developing as a player and never stop growing and developing as a football coach. There's so much more I hope that I'm going to get a chance to dig into and learn along the way before this whole thing's done, and I encourage everybody else to do the same. Coach, I really appreciate the time you spent with us today. Coaches out there, if you want to connect with Coach, certainly his information is on the University of Cincinnati football website. Coach, I know you're also on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle? At Mike Denbrock. It's D-E-N-B-R-O-C-K, at Mike Denbrock. Coach, thanks for taking some time today and helping us improve this profession. I really appreciate all you talked about here. Well, I hope we can do that. It's, it's in my opinion, the greatest profession on earth, and we're all very fortunate and lucky to be able to get up and be a part of it every day. Thanks again for listening to the Coaching Coordinator Podcast. Please follow me on Twitter at Coach K Grabowski for more news and updates as well as some of our daily content. And if you're enjoying the podcast, head over to iTunes 
and click five star for the rate. If you have a minute, write a review. It really helps the podcast.